Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Illegal Pete's. I'm Henry Chisholm, um, and I've been talking about this for about a week now, but today is finally the day that we are going to dig in to the Pac-12 and the state of the Pac-12, what it means for the Buffs financially, and whether they can be competitive, whether any Pac-12 school can be competitive, um, what's going on with the TV deal, why they're holding on to the rights to the Pac-12 network and not selling that off like every other conference does, um, whether it's redeemable or whether the Pac-12 has just dug itself too deep of a hole and will need to be a part of the realignment if these schools want to be... um, competitive in the 2020s i spent way too long researching all of this um and i just want to give you a heads up first hopefully this stuff isn't just like too dense to be enjoyable um but i think it's all really interesting i think it's very impactful you know colorado's getting 18 million dollars less this year in funding from the pac-12 than sec schools and big 10 schools get um, from their conference and you know that that is massive um, imagine imagine if you took that number that 18 million dollars um, which is currently the difference um, between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten so you know for example Colorado's playing Carl Durrell 19.5 million dollars over five years um it's it's a deal that's worth what is that is that right i think it's just 19 million actually now that i think of it of uh, 3.2 the first year up to four in the fifth year uh, it goes up by two hundred thousand dollars each year imagine if colorado just took that 18 million dollars that's the difference between what it gets from the pac-12 and what the big 10 gets from the conference and decided to just take half of it throw it on top of your head coach budget all of a sudden, you have any head coach you want. You offer a head coach an average salary of $12.5 million a year. There isn't a coach who's going to turn that down. I think that that's probably more than the highest paid NFL head coach. Uh, you want Nick Saban. You want Ed Orgeron. Uh, you want anybody. They are now leading your program. Um, and that's only half. Then you have the other $9 million. Maybe, maybe you... Uh, as much as we all love Tad Boyle, you, you upgrade that position. You have some legend um, coaching that too. Or you could throw it at the rest of the staff. You could 
put another million dollars in every position and that's a big upgrade you could hell if you wanted to you could hire nick saban as your head coach and you could hire lincoln riley as your offensive coordinator and build from there so that's the difference we're talking about and that's probably not um what colorado would choose to do um again these are the annual payouts um Instead, you probably upgrade the facilities. You you recruit harder by uh, visiting all these different places. Um, it makes it easier to to move around and do that kind of stuff. I mean, you could you could also use that money to cheat if you wanted to. Um, we don't have to dig into cheating right now. But but again, there's just so much that you can do with money. Um, you could build an all athletes dorm, and I guess th- I think there's actually rules against that, but. Um, throw in a couple of normal students, call it not all athletes, and you could make that, you know, an $18 million dorm, and that's what you're doing with your one year of extra profits. Um, is that, I don't know how much that costs, but again, you could make that thing like a resort. Um, so before we jump into all of this stuff, I kind of just wanted to let you guys know what that money means. Um, and it means a lot. It means so much. Um, okay. Where to even start? Um, let's just start with the, the difference in the money between, um, what Colorado gets and what the other conferences get. Um, so last year, um, I believe it was 2019, the PAC 12 gave out $31 million per school. Um, that's a lot of money. Um, the, the TV revenue accounts for about 25 to 40 percent of the overall budget for the, the PAC 12 um, schools. 25 to 40 percent of the money that these schools spend on that athletics, whether it's football, basketball, all the way to tennis, uh, soccer, comes from the TV deals. Um, that's a big chunk. And when you can increase that pool of money, obviously that, that goes a long ways. Um, so that was the total distribution from, um, sponsors and all that kind of stuff with the TV deal, about 31 million. Um, the big 10, um, these numbers, they, they shift a little bit depending on what place they're counting. This one had the big 10 at $47 million, 37 for the sec. So that's only a $6 million difference. Um, the, the difference between, um, the, the TV payout and um, the 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 all around payout for sponsors and all that kind of stuff. The Pac-12 is in a little bit better shape there. Um, so that's kind of what you're looking at. That's where these numbers are. Um, the Pac-12 signed a deal that uh, gives the Tier One rights uh, for Pac-12 games, football games primarily, to uh, Fox and to ESPN, and they also alternate. Um, the football championship game rights year to year. And that deal was worth $3 billion about um, back in 2011. It's a 12-year deal. Um, And the way it works is they have a different rotation and the, the networks take turns picking games. So if it's week one, maybe ESPN has first pick of the games and they'll take... Um, whatever, Oregon versus USC, because that's a game that, you know, it features two good teams and they have a lot of fans and they think that that's one that a lot of people will tune into. Um, Maybe Fox gets second pick and they take, uh, 
UCLA and Arizona State, and they think that's most interesting. But a lot of those games go to the Pac-12 networks, which is owned entirely by the Pac-12, which is unlike any other conference network, the ACC network, the SEC network, and we'll dig into that in a minute. But, you know, sometimes the Pac-12 network gets second choice, um, and, and they can jump ahead of Fox and take a better game, even though the the Pac-12 network doesn't get to many people. Um, when when it launched in 2011 as part, or I guess it launched in 2012 as part of um, this three billion dollar deal, um, which was the most ever, the most ever uh, for a, a conference TV rights deal, the Pac-12 network became the second um, conference network that was created. So the Big Ten network had already existed um, prior to the creation of the Pac-12 network. Um, and what's different is that the Big Ten Network was 51% owned by the Big Ten and 49% owned by Fox. So Fox ran everything. Fox staffed all the positions, did the production, all of those sorts of things, um, and then they split the profits. Essentially, the Big Ten just provided the football games um, and then the other sports as well. Um, since then, there have been more deals. You know, the SEC has a deal uh, with ESPN that's very similar. Uh, the Big 12, the ACC Network just launched a deal that is also through ESPN. So, so the way that ESPN typically does it is, you know, you, you can sign up for ESPN Plus and you get access to this stuff, or maybe your cable provider gives you access to these networks. Um, but what makes those work so well is that with each of these deals, um, the the company that has the rights to the network or co-owns the network can bundle those deals. Um, so um, ESPN, for example, can sell a package that is the, the, the ability to broadcast ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, um, this SEC network, and the ACC network. And when they negotiate with DirecTV, they can say, hey, We'll give you these five things, or maybe they are they approach with just three ESPN networks, and then when somebody says, "Oh, we'll give you a billion dollars so that we can share those um, with all of our cable subscribers or uh, satellite TV subscribers," and then ESPN can bounce back with, "Well, hey, give us another fifty million dollars, two hundred million dollars, whatever, and we'll throw in the ACC network too." And, and so since they're already negotiating all these packages, it's a lot easier for them to get get those deals done. Um, and, you know, it's not just ESPN because ESPN's owned by Disney. So then you have Disney Channel, ABC, ABC News, ABC Sports. So you have all of these together, and it's a lot easier to negotiate those deals through them. You know, Fox is the same way. Fox, uh, FX, Fox Sports 1, um, the Big Ten Network, um, a bunch of others, and then they have whatever. Fox News. I don't know if I mentioned Fox News. That's a big one. Um, but the Pac-12 network isn't a part of those, so they have to sell those deals by themselves, um, which changes things. Um, they, When they first started, the Pac-12 network was kind of looking like a, a big success right away. Um, y- you know, I, I think they had uh, the Pac-12 network in... 48 million homes in the first year. Uh, 48 million. 
and then that dropped down to 18 million um, over the course of the last whatever it's been eight years. Um, so that's a significant drop, and it's happened for a bunch of reasons. You know, they never were able to get a deal done with DirecTV, and they don't anticipate one happening. Essentially, the Pac-12 network signed on with some cable providers and with Dish and with um, whoever else. And when they negotiated those deals, they all kind of came to very similar terms. Um, they, they'd pay whatever, $100 million a year or $50 million a year, $20 million a year, depending on the size of their, uh, their company and how many subscribers they have. And that, that rate stayed pretty similar. Um, but DirecTV wasn't willing to take it. One of the reasons they weren't willing to take it is that they already stream the best Pac-12 games or show the best Pac-12 games um, when they're on ESPN and on Fox. And what they're typically missing out on is the lower level stuff. And sometimes that's not true because as I mentioned earlier, the Pac-12 network sometimes has rights to the second best game of the week. Um, So there are some things that are going on. That's kind of why the Pac-12 network is in some trouble. Um, And there are a bunch of other things to talk about with that. But... um, I just kind of want to get that stuff out of the way first so we can talk about why the Pac-12 decided to handle things the way they did, to make the decisions they've made up to this point. And, you know, there's a bunch of reasons to to hold on to the Pac-12 network, make that totally owned by the Pac-12, to not enter into a deal with the ESPN or Fox. Um, the biggest is that essentially every time in the last 30 years that somebody has held on to media rights for something, those media rights have become more and more valuable and the the bet on the media rights becoming more valuable has typically paid off. I think pretty much every time has paid off. You know, if you think of the NFL trying to sell the rights to NFL games in 1990 versus 2000, the league grew exponentially. Same thing with the MLB and the NHL and all these different things. Um, And there's this theory that there's another revolution coming around the corner. You know, the the current Pac-12 media deal expires in 2024. And so you'll probably see negotiations start to happen in 2022. One interesting point about that is that the Pac-12 holds all of the rights. So the tier one rights for the very best games that they currently have that big deal, the $3 billion deal with ESPN and Fox for, all the way down to the tier three games, which are the ones that are just kind of shoved into um, the back end of the Pac-12 network to fill whatever holes, whatever the two o'clock game is that just rounds out that schedule that nobody is really fighting for the rights for, paying for the rights for. Right now, you know, the Big Ten, they're giving those rights to Fox as part of the deal. They stream that. There's there's all this going on. Um, and the SEC just made a deal for their Tier 1 rights that made a bunch of news in December, which means that CBS, which has broadcast the um, SEC's top games one a week for years, will no longer be doing that starting in 2024. CBS was paying $55 million a year to broadcast the best SEC game of the week. Um, they bid $300 million per year uh, to, to keep that going starting in 2024. ESPN outbid them with $355 million per year. And that's for 15 games. 
just crazy numbers. But the SEC has another deal with ESPN that the ESPN gets the rights to all of the other games and will broadcast all of the other games um, that happen on the SEC slate. And that deal runs through the mid-2030s. So they were tied up. The Pac-12 is in an interesting situation that they have the ability to negotiate with every game that they uh, that, that they are playing, starting with that 2024 media deal. Um, that puts them in a position of power, especially because that's kind of when um, the analysts that are into how media works are saying that some tech companies could be trying to jump into um, the live sports streaming market. You know, we've seen games like the. I think some All Star games are being broadcast on Twitter. Um, I think like the maybe the Thursday night NFL games were broadcast on Facebook um, because they were willing to buy the rights, and they're kind of testing that out. Um, you know, it, it sounds pretty crazy to say, but the next big deal that the Pac-12 makes might not be with ESPN or with Fox. But in that 2022 to 2024 negotiating window, it might be with an Amazon or a Google or a Twitter or Facebook. You know, they, they actually had in-depth conversations with Apple um, about selling those rights. And the reason that this would kind of make sense is that those are the companies that can invest a lot of money into the product and if you guys have watched the Pac-12 network you've seen that it isn't the perfect product um, it isn't nearly as clean as watching you know sports talk on ESPN or other places and part of that is you know it's it's owned and operated by the Pac-12 and it isn't operated by Fox or ESPN um, we, we hear about the money that the Pac-12 spends on rent. They have the downtown San Francisco offices. Rent is $7 million a year compared to like $300,000 a year for the offices um, that the SEC uses. And it's definitely irresponsible. There, You could cut those costs by quite a bit. But the, that San Francisco office is also the home of the studios for the Pac-12 network, so you need some space for that. Um, also, more than half of the Pac-12 employees are actually Pac-12 network employees. Um, so, so there's some of that other stuff too. And if you could cut those costs while also increasing that product, then you could make a lot of money. Um, and that's why you could see an Apple involved. You know, Apple, for example, you know, they're valued at over a trillion dollars. That's a crazy amount of money. That's a lot more than a lot of other companies. You, you know, ESPN just doesn't have that sort of clout. You know, the Apple has over $200 billion just in cash on hand. Like just in a normal checking account, they have $200 billion. They could, they could pay the, the, for the rights for whatever if they wanted to, and they might be willing to. You know, in November, they launched the Apple TV Plus streaming service. They created their own TV shows, um, which are actually really good. You know, I subscribe to that, and I subscribe to the Disney Plus, and I've used Disney Plus like four times, and I use the Apple TV Plus essentially every day. It's like $5 a month, and it's going to keep getting better, and they're going to keep adding to it. And as they do that, the price is going to go up. And one of the ways they could do that is by streaming um, the the Pac-12 Pac-12 games, for example, the Pac-12 network. They could make it their own. Um, the Pac-12 has gotten bids. Um, oh, last summer, there were multiple bids for over seven hundred or for seven hundred and fifty million dollars 
Um, and that's for, I think, 10% of the conference, the network, the revenue. Um, and also, they would probably run everything and maybe clean up the product a little bit. Um, $750 million, that's a lot of money. That's 62, a little over $62 million per school. And some of that would probably be reinvested or they might split out the payment over years and invest some so that it isn't just one lump sum. Um, a whole bunch of stuff like that. But $62 million is a lot um, for 10% of the revenue going forward. Back to the point, every time that somebody with media rights to something has just held on to those rights the rights have become much more valuable. And you look at the SEC deal that we were just talking about. 15 SEC games a year. Currently, CBS pays $55 million a year. Starting in 2024, uh, ESPN is going to pay $355 million per year. That's the kind of... the the kind of increase that we are tempted or expect to see... Um, for media rights. So if they, if people were willing to pay $750 million in the summer of 2019, they might be willing to pay a billion in the summer of 2020 or, you know, $1.2 billion the next year or $1.5 billion. Who knows? Um, and typically those bets have panned out um, for the person with the media rights. Also, like I said before, the Pac-12 has an unprecedented amount of flexibility by holding on to um, all of the rights, the Tier 1 through the Tier 3 rights for that negotiating period that, that we're going to hit here in two years. We're probably going to start hearing about it. Um, it's, it's so big. And there are a lot of reasons to think that people would want to be involved with the Pac-12. Again, you know, five of the top 17 TV markets in the U.S., are the homes of Pac-12 universities. That's pretty crazy. Plus you factor in LA. There's actually two schools, so you get that one counted twice, so kind of like six, but whatever. Um, you, you look at the fact that, you know, 14 years in a row, the Pac-12 has won the most national titles of any conference. 14 years in a row. And sure, they've struggled in football. They've struggled in men's basketball. Um, and those are the two sports that generate the most revenue. But, you know, it's kind of, it, it could just be a down period. You could bounce back. Um, and again, money matters. But it isn't everything. And you could see that money come back. You know, the, the Pac-12, not, not only is it in big markets, but they're very good schools. You're attracting student athletes because of the academics, um, which which helps with recruiting. Um, there's there's a lot of reasons to think that they're, the Pac-12 is going to be all right, in, including the fact that how much of the college athlete talent comes from California? That's a major, major um, reason to bet on the Pac-12. Also, they're kind of like destination locations. It's easy to sell somebody on wanting to live in, uh, you know, Tucson or uh, Boulder or L.A. Weird that I live with Tucson, but still a good place. Arizona's cool. Um, Seattle, you know, it isn't like saying, hey, come out to College Station or come out to uh, Oklahoma Kansas, you know, all, all these sorts of places. Um, 
So yeah, I, I think that it's kind of important to talk through what this TV deal means, why there's hope for the future, what exactly is going on, because we're going to see some changes here pretty soon. Um, in just a few years, we're going to know, you know, that, that the TV deal that the Pac-12 is currently, st- what, three quarters, two thirds of the way through, that was the biggest TV deal ever uh, for, for a conference. That's just the way this market works. It, it rotates. It's kind of like looking at the NFL, who's the highest paid quarterback, probably the the one that was most recently paid. They just keep resetting the market. Will the Pac-12 be able to do that? Who knows? Um, they've they've fallen behind, and it's not going to be nearly as easy. But that's kind of the path. And and once you do get more exposure, that just helps so much. You know, we, we talk about how hard it is for East Coast fans of Pac-12 teams to stay up and watch, or like the casual fan on the East Coast isn't staying up till 2 a.m. to watch the end of a Pac-12 game. Uh, but a lot of the times, they don't even have the choice to. They, they couldn't if they wanted to because it's so hard to get the Pac-12 network out there, and that's where so many of the games are streamed. You, you have to get Sling. You have to get Fubo, I, I think is how you say that. I don't think I've said that out loud. But that's just the state. And, you know, the, the Pac-12 network, it started out in 48 million homes, has dropped to 18 million since. Um the ACC network that just launched, I think, less than a year ago, it has already surpassed that 18 million because of the deal with ESPN. Uh, the the Big Ten network, which Fox runs, uh, is in 57.3 million homes. Just that exposure is so valuable. Make it easy for Colorado fans on the East Coast to watch these games. Make them feel connected to their school. That will help build your booster base, which is so important. There's another way that you get money in just just by having your games broadcast to the people who went to school at your school. It's it's a tough time for sure in the Pac-12. They don't have enough money. Um, Larry Scott is overpaid. I think that that's pretty safe to say. He makes more than double the SEC commissioner. Um more than double the uh, Big Ten commissioner, and you you look at the revenue that that those schools are bringing in over fifty million dollars distri- distributed to Big Ten schools. That's the expectation. Um, that's a lot, and and it puts Colorado at a bit of a disadvantage when trying to compete with those schools on the national level. I think I think that that's most of what I wanted to touch on. Um, and I, I hope I, I here's my takeaway. My takeaway is that this situation is not irreparable, not by a long shot. You're you're hoping for some things. You're hoping that Amazon and Apple get into a bidding war for your rights, um, even though, you know, for, for us right now, it's so hard to imagine what that would even look like. Apple holding the rights to the Pac-12 football games. Would you have to get the Apple TV Plus subscription to watch? Would would they be streaming them in other ways? Would would they be then selling some of the rights off to ESPN? Would it would it be ESPN involved with the deal so they could broadcast some of the games and and Apple could broadcast the rest? Do you, would ESPN be the the highest bidder? You know, CBS now that they lost out on that uh, SEC contract 
to ESPN? Is the S or is CBS now more desperate for college football in that next contract period? And will they be willing to overpay, bid things up, make it tougher? It's going to be interesting to see how this goes. It's going to be interesting to see whether the Pac-12 actually does hold out complete ownership over the Pac-12 network. Um, there are a lot of questions. And, you know, realignment is an interesting topic, too. And that's something that we probably should spend some more time on. But, you know, Colorado was put in a tough spot over the last month or so because of that lack of money. Um, Mel Tucker would probably be the head coach. Who knows if if Colorado had more money. Um, whatever his demands were, you know, whether it was more money for the assistant coaching pool, maybe you could have just given that to him easily. Maybe you're already in a spot where he isn't asking for more. Um, you could have matched the contract from Michigan State, um, which is one of those Big Ten schools that's expecting a $50 million payout. Um, you, you have, uh, even if Mel Tucker left, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, you're, you're giving him an offer he can't refuse. Maybe you're going after an Urban Meyer. All of these different things. And there's so much that plays into it. This this contract isn't great, but what's going to make the next contract even more valuable is if these Pac-12 football teams start winning. And as much as it's it's obvious that money really helps in college athletics, being able to build the best facilities, being able to hire the best coaches, being able to travel easily to recruit, um, all these different things. You don't necessarily have to have the biggest budget to win. And that's been a message that's been sent at Colorado is that Rick George thinks that where Colorado is at financially is enough to get this ball moving and get them in position to be a championship caliber team. I mean, we've, we've seen what happens. Washington, um, Oregon has some big time boosters, obviously, um, so maybe they don't fit the bill quite as much. But Washington, for example, is a college football playoff team just a few years ago. Um, you need the Pac-12 to outperform its financial situation over these next two years to make this next deal what it could be. Um, you, you you need to get teams in the college football playoff. You, you need USC to go back to being one of the top-tier college football programs. And it should. And the fact that it isn't is embarrassing for the USC and as much fun as it is to say, ha, y- you losers, we hate USC. Um, it's a rivalry. We just want to beat USC. All this kind of stuff where Colorado fans have this natural instinct to cheer against all of these Pac-12 teams, which totally makes sense in terms of competition. But in terms of what's best for Colorado... It might be USC winning a bunch of games, just not the ones against Colorado. Oregon doing the same thing. Utah calling everybody else out and saying, hey, you know what? We weren't just a one-year wonder. We're actually a team that's going to compete to be in the college football playoff more years than not. Arizona State with Jaden Daniels, if he gets hot and can win some games next year, um, Washington is only a year two year uh, a year two removed from serious success. Um David Shaw, I think, 
yeah, David Shaw, I'd say, is the best coach in the Pac-12, and he's had success at Stanford. You know, you could see a path for all these teams to be relevant nationally. And you don't necessarily need to have two, three teams in the top 10, but if you could have a top 10 team and four or five others in that top 25, then you're in a very good spot. And, and that's a spot that you're going to see a lot of bids for the TV rights because, again, these are big markets. There are a lot of USC football fans in Los Angeles. And even if the size of the market isn't going to matter nearly as much going forward, you know, the, the reason it matters now, the reason you want to be in those big markets, the reason that conferences want to expand their footprint, that's a phrase you hear a lot, is that when they're working on selling the rights to um, whoever, cable companies, you know, the people who have these networks through cable, they don't have control. It's not a la carte. If you're in LA and you have whatever cable package, you have all these games and the the conference makes money for putting these games on the TVs that these people have, even if they aren't really watching them. Uh, they, you, you get so much money from that footprint, but that might go away. It, it might be that streaming and you're just watching the games you're fan of, it's, it's going to be interesting and the market's shifting and <sighs> Pac-12 is in a bad spot, but again, they're just a year or two away from a new deal that could be massive. Um, even if you don't catch the Big Ten, they likely won't. Maybe you can get up into that SEC range. Again, the SEC payout of eight, nine, ten million dollars more—that's not that far off. It's it's a big difference in terms of money, but in terms of media right values, it's not that big of a difference. Um, and you just have to win some games and you, you have to start selling tickets. You need to, you, you can't have an empty Rose bowl. That's bad for everybody in the conference, even though being here in Boulder, you like to make fun of UCLA for not being able to get fans in a massive market like Los Angeles. Um, product needs to improve. Um, even if the product doesn't improve, you expect to see a big, big influx of money um, in 2024 or even before. And uh, if you do see that that increase in, in play within the, the teams in the Pac-12, then you think that that's going to be an even bigger increase. Um, Larry Scott, <laughs> I think we all have pretty similar opinions. Um, I, I would guess that the, the play for him, uh, or at least for the Pac-12 athletic directors, presidents, the people who put him in charge of the conference, um, you'd expect him to be gone right before it's time to improve that uh, media deal, before it's time to start talking about the TV rights deal, negotiating that. Um, even though he kind of has this reputation of being a very good negotiator, uh, things have just gone wrong. Um, even if Colorado does have this massive asset. They have the Pac-12 network. And again, the point isn't that it's it's a great, well-produced um, TV sports network. The point is that it has all those rights. Um, and it doesn't really matter the quality because ESPN or Fox can clean that up real quick. Um, again, they have those rights. And if, if I'm Rick George and I'm one of the leaders among these athletic directors, I'm saying, hey, we don't want a new commissioner right now because things aren't going to get better um, 
until 2022 when things start to negotiate. And so we might as well let Larry Scott sit there, take the blame for everything, and then we'll yank him, we'll plug somebody in and give that person a chance to start things out with a bang and kind of start to turn things around early in the tenure so they don't catch the hate for two years and then have already lost Pac-12 fans by the time he can actually do something. And if I'm Rick George, I'm kind of interested in that job as well. So there's a bunch of thoughts. I know it was a little bit more scrambled than I wanted it to be. Hopefully that all made sense. Hopefully it was interesting too because it wasn't necessarily buffs, but because Colorado has been put in such a bad situation because of you know, not having the same amount of money as these other schools. And, and again, when we're talking about the TV rights, Larry Scott says 25 to 40% of the overall athletics budget is coming from those. So there's still the stuff from the boosters, your ticket sales, all this kind of stuff that, that plays a part. Um, but yeah, before we move on, I want to tell you about my favorite beer, the Strawberry Sky. Um, it's just incredible, and you guys know all the reasons why I like it. It's um, it's it's a little bit fruity, but not so fruity that it feels like you aren't drinking a beer. Like it doesn't feel like you're drinking a cider. Like you know, I like the Colorado Core, but it's not one of the staples for me. It's it's one that you have every once in a while because it is a more unique taste. Um, Strawberry Sky is one that you can just drink every day. Um, you can make it your staple beer, the the one you go back to. Um, and if you want to try it, you can go to the beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website, um, and it'll tell you exactly where you can go to get one of those. Bojo's Pizza is an incredible, incredible um, option to pair with your favorite Breckenridge beer. And you can actually go to Bojo's and try some of their Colorado beers on tap, including the Breckenridge beers. They have six Colorado locations, and at all of them, if you mention DNVR, you can get a free honey cheese bread with the purchase of an entree. You can also order through DoorDash, and it'll bring it to you. The dough is made fresh daily, and it contains locally sourced honey. If you mention DNVR, like I said, you get a free honey cheese bread with the purchase of an entree. It's just an incredible deal. You guys need to check it out. Okay, uh, jumping back in now, that was a lot of talk about that stuff, but I think it's important that everybody kind of knows where things stand. Hopefully you guys didn't get bored and turn it off because that was a lot of numbers and stuff, but it's time to move on. Okay, um, how about some... The reason we didn't talk more about the coaches, I just want to say this, the reason today was the day we did that was that I believe today was the day that uh, Carl Durrell, new head coach of the Buffs, is finishing up his one-on-one interviews with the current assistant coaches, and then he's moving on to do one-on-ones with the entire team. So you'd expect to hear some news coming out maybe tomorrow about the future of the guys on staff and who could potentially be coming in from outside. So there isn't too much to talk about in terms of the coaching situation so yeah um we're gonna jump right into comments right now starting with uh nacho class 13 hard to swallow pill cu football is a below average program average programs regularly make bowl games and sometimes win them barring one year in 2016 we've had a hard time hanging with the dogs not just the big dogs woof 
Tucker was able to bring in some very talented players with his draft class. I truly believe that Carl can take the program to a bowl game in 2020 and possibly even win that bowl game. Bef- before we move on to the rest, I just want to say, I I don't necessarily think you're wrong. Um, he believes in processes, character, and people, all the important things. One of the biggest criticisms for him was recruiting, possibly because he's been in the NFL for so long. I'll say this. As the program wins, as players are developed on and off the field, as the profile of CU football is elevated, as players get drafted into the NFL, these are all things that go into recruiting. Now there's a lot more that goes into it, but that's for the start. I'm excited. I'm bought in. I hope Chev stays on staff. I hope the team improves. I hope this pans out. Call it skeptical optimism. Cole. Yeah. Yeah, I think that you're true. So let's let's just start at the top. You said CU football is a below-average program. Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, um, because there's so many different ways you look at it. There are so many different lenses you can look at college football. Uh, again, I came here from covering the Big Sky Conference, and there's a difference. It's a very good program compared to those. If you're talking Division One, you're in a great spot. Uh, if you're talking FBS, an even smaller group, then it's still in a very good spot. You know, going five and seven consistently among power five schools in a power five conference is more impressive to me than going eight and four uh, in a group of five conference. Um, if you're just looking at how CU stacks up with other power five schools, or even if you're just comparing CU to the expectations that I think we all have for this football program, then yeah, they're below average. Um, average, again, this is so broad because there are so many different levels. When you, you want to break it down, you can say all of college football. You can say Division One, You can say FBS. You can say Power 5. Um, in a lot of ways, CU's in a, a, a good spot. It's a fun program to follow no matter what. Um, I've enjoyed it, even though they haven't had the most success. But yeah, if you're just trying to make a bowl game, six and six is an average season. That's a pretty simple way to break it down. They aren't doing that. Uh, Carl Durrell, six and six, six and six, six and six, ten and two, six and six. That's what he did at UCLA. Um, yeah, there we go. Uh, getting into the recruiting class and the the talent on the team. You say you think that this could be a bowl team in 2020. I do too. Um, lot of lot of ground to cover between now and then and if I were to say does this team make a bowl game right now I'd say no um if you were to ask me with the talent on this team if it all stays um will they make a bowl game I'd say yes the 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 reason I'm not willing to bet on it right now is that I don't think that all of this talent stays I think that some players leave and they might be some maybe not super important players, but rotational players and your, your second string of guys, um, they're important. They're very important. Um, which is a weird way I just phrased that really weird, but those guys see the field and that could be the difference between a six win team and a five win team. And I think that Colorado's kind of on that borderline. Um, we still need to see how the coaching staff shakes out as well. Um, who does Carl bring in? Um, is it, is he implementing complex schemes or is it simple stuff so that the learning curve is a little bit easier and maybe you see them win more game in the first, win one more game in the first three weeks of the season, you know, or is it going to take 
into the first bye week after four games for them to start like they're clicking. A lot of questions. I don't think a bowl game's off the table. Um, I, I think that the way um, Carl Durrell coaches, you know, it's all about the details. It's all about getting things right. It's about reading your opponents. And I think that that would make you think that he's going to pull as much as he can out of this team. Um, when you look at what Mel Tucker did, there were some high points, you know, they they beat Arizona State on the road. That was a big game. Um, the Washington-Stanford games, even if those programs weren't where they want to be, those are big wins. Uh, hanging close with USC, very impressive, and they should have won that game. But you could also say, look, they should have won that USC game. They blew it. They should have beat Air Force. They probably should have beat Arizona. For some reason, those guys weren't ready to go. Um I think there were a seven-win team last year that blew some games, and if they don't blow games, then they they could they could be a bold team this year. Um, yeah, I think that you made some good points. The I I just like the Pac-12. I don't think CU's in a spot where it's just irreversible that they can't get things fixed. Um, there are a bunch of things that go into that. They need to see the money increase, and the money will increase as long as they win. It's kind of a chicken and egg thing. They need to keep as much talent as they can right away and pull everything they can out of it. Um, again, develop, bringing in talent is uh, kind of a function of success as well. Selling tickets is a function of success. So you just have to keep winning as many games as possible bringing out the best in these players. And again, that's what Carl Durrell is known for. He's a developer. Um, this narrative that Carl Durrell is a bad recruiter is wrong. Um, the, it's it's not wrong by a lot, but the, the truth is we don't know if Carl Durrell can recruit. And you can, we can all have our takes you know, it's it's kind of like you know the, the the draft season is right around the corner in the NFL. We're all gonna have guys we like. We might say Henry Ruggs is incredible. He's going to be the best receiver in the NFL in three years, or we could say we he's going to be awful and he's a bust because all he is is fast. And you know, with his hands, with the lack of route running, he's going to have trouble adjusting. You know. When, you, when you're making those takes now, nobody really knows. Everybody's just looking at the information we have and pulling an opinion from it. Um, and that's where Carl Durrell is, too. We don't know that he's a good recruiter or a bad recruiter. He has virtually no track record as a recruiter um, that matters at Colorado. Um, so until we see whether he can recruit to Colorado, we're all just guessing. And there are definitely some signs that we can take that would make us think that he's going to struggle. The fact that he hasn't done it much one year in college football since 2007, you know, experience matters in a lot of things. And this is probably one of those. That's a reason to think maybe he will struggle. But then you remember when you're talking to, to high school kids, being able to name drop people is so important. And there is nobody better than that at Carl Durrell. What, what happens when he goes to California to recruit somebody and says, hey, you know Kyle Shanahan? And the kid's like, oh, of course. Everybody knows Kyle Shanahan. He just turned around the 49ers, a job that nobody thought anybody could do. That's where the 49ers were just a couple of years ago. Um, and then Carl says, well, guess what? I gave him start in 
coaching football and I've been in contact with him and, and we've worked really closely together and I've helped develop him into the coach that he has become. That has some pull. That's a guy you want to play for. And that's just Kyle Shanahan. The, the list of guys who are in Carl Durrell's coaching tree is long, really, really long. And then you look at what he's done with players. Again, we've harped on Devontae Parker, Rod Smith, an undrafted receiver who flourished under Durrell. Um, Michael Westbrook, a college receiver who flourished under Durrell. Um, Maurice Jones-Drew. These, these names of guys who have come from Durrell's tree is so long. Being able to use that to your advantage, it's tougher. Um, it, that's a skill, and that's not a skill that we know that Durrell has. But we know that Carl Durrell has the ammunition to be a good recruiter. Who knows if it pans out, but that's something that would counteract the other thought, that the lack of experience recently in recruiting wouldn't help. Um, but, you know, when he was gone, he was in the NFL working with Rex Ryan and working with, uh, did he ever work with Andy Reid? For some reason, I, I really think that he's close with Andy Reid. And maybe they haven't worked together, um, but I know they're close. Uh, same thing with Eric Bieniemy. Um, there's... So many of these connections that he can pull out and also use as a resource. You know, we've talked about those in recruiting, but being able to sit down and say, hey, Andy, I'm taking this job. I have to implement an offense. You mind talking for a couple hours? Do you have that free time at some point? That's something that I would expect to see from Carl. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a, a process and one worth watching for sure. Um, also, recruiting isn't a one-man job. There's going to be a whole staff. Head coach typically closes, and we'll see if he's a closer. Uh, you know what? I want to talk more about recruiting with him. There's some more points. Uh, he gets a bad rap. Uh, UCLA fans, if you scroll back through all their forums, um, which I spent hours doing recently because that's my job now, um, from the time that Darrell was there, from the time Darrell left, and every mention of him since, you know, there's there's a split. Some say he was in over his head. He had no chance. Um, others say, well, he was going up against Pete Carroll, um, who was working at USC. USC was a national title contender in that same time frame, and they're both trying to recruit Los Angeles first and then everywhere else. He was kind of set for, to fail there. And then you remember that UCLA had almost no budget. You, you remember how we're talking about... Um, Cal and the bad situation Cal's athletics department is in and the fact that Justin Wilcox could just jump ship and come to Colorado and that was a real thought that people had well that's kind of the place that UCLA was when uh, Darrell was there and maybe even a little bit worse so keep that in mind too and now we know that Darrell has all those ties to Los Angeles and and the high schools there and he has those ins and he has that network of connections um he said he has connections in Miami too of guys he could recruit out of there he said that in his press conference so we don't know if he can recruit there are reasons to think he can there are reasons to think he can't let's just wait and let's see let's not say he's a good recruiter or a bad recruiter let's take our time and watch and see what happens um, before we jump into this last question, here's Ryan to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you 
about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect, just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Okay, uh, one more question. This is a weird show today. Uh, from CU at Folsom, who says, Listen, next time you pause to look something up, don't tell us. Just make it sound like you know all the numbers off the top of your head since we can't tell when you pause it. That's a good point. But see, the thing is, if I don't pause it and tell you that I'm pausing it to check something, then you won't be impressed by all of the times where I don't have to pause it um, because I know off the top of my head. Today, uh, here's my plug for the Denver Sports Podcast. If you want more Buffs talk and less Larry Scott talk, well, too bad. It's too late because we already spent like 40 minutes on that. But I was on the Denver Sports Podcast today. Uh, we let off talking about the Buffs. A bunch of really good stuff there. Um, I thought some opinions from Harrison Wind, who went to school there. Uh, Drew Creaseman, who covers the Rockies for us, who went to school there. Allie Monroy went to school there. She hosts the show. And also Rudo from the Avs Beat. Um, didn't provide much. But, hey, you know, he's fun. Um, yeah, so check that out. Uh, the reason that comes to mind is because I was able to flex on knowing that T.C. McCartney's birthday was April 24th. Um, you know what? That That's why... If, if I pause things and don't tell you guys, then you won't trust that I actually know it. Um, see what Folsom said. My assumption on the rankings were that Stanford and USC are both higher than CU, and I didn't call that out. I also thought Jimmy Lake was getting $3.3 million, but he's only getting $3 million, so he is the seventh with my crystal ball assumptions. Yeah, the claim that he is third is patently false, though, and the assistant pool amount needs to go up by 10 to 20% every year until CU is in the top three to four in the Pac-12 if CU is serious about competing for championships. Just my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, definitely. You know, again, as, as we've talked about a few times, it's it's kind of like you need money to make money. You need wins to buy more wins. Um, I do think that the budget's going to keep increasing. Um, and then you're, you're going to see the whole Pac-12 three years from now make a massive leap a massive leap because of the money they have. You're going to see all these recruiting budgets just jump up a million dollars a piece. I would not be surprised at all to see that. Maybe maybe even more than that. Um, and then all of a sudden, they're competing for more guys. And you got to build from there too. Uh, Colorado isn't in a bad spot. Um, the Pac-12 isn't in a bad spot as long as they keep improving it. Um, it it's not going to change overnight. For, for any Pac-12 team to be a real title contender. Actually, you know what? Any Not any Pac-12 team could be a title contender. But, you know, in the next two years, you could see how Arizona State could get there. How Oregon, with the core that it has, could, you know, they finish seventh, they could jump up to fourth. Was it seventh or was it eighth? Something about that. Um, and get into the college football playoff. Uh, USC, with Keaton Slovis, if he's for real, they have the talent on that team. They just need it to work. 
I personally don't have much faith in Clay Helton, but whatever. You, you can see the path for some of these teams to compete. But for it to happen consistently and for there to be multiple contenders, um, because typically it's it's been kind of there's been one team in the Pac-12 who has a shot, and occasionally that team takes advantage and typically doesn't. You know, the Pac-12 title game, you would hope, is kind of with a college football playoff berth on the line. One of those two teams... Whoever wins should be getting in, but there just hasn't been the depth in the Pac-12. So, yeah, again, it's it's going to take five years to get to that point, probably. Um, there might be a couple fluky years, whatever, but that's what I expect. Same thing with CU. Um, it's going to be a process, and you know what? I do expect to see the assistant pool increase again next year. We'll see. We'll see what it looks like, but I still think that that'll happen. Um College football's fun. <laughs> you know, there's all these weird things going on, but that's what that's what makes people love it. That it isn't like the NFL where everybody's working with the same thing and it makes it a very clinical environment. It's all so fair. Um, you know, college football isn't fair, but nobody's just handed things. Um, they've worked for where they've gotten. You know, even Vanderbilt, which is making SEC money as a really bad power five football program they had to convince the sec to let it in you know and alabama as much as it seems like they're kind of breaking the system you know they're bringing in every five star they have all these advantages that's not where they were at one point they had to work their way to that spot they did that by cultivating a fan base by hiring a good head coach who a lot of people didn't think had it in him to take this program this far and uh then they were able to help make the SEC get that deal. There's so many things. And you look at all of these programs, and typically they're where they deserve to be. You know, Colorado, it's disappointing that they're typically a five-win school in, a pack, in the Pac-12. That's not where you want Colorado to be. But you look at the hires that have been made, and, you know, Mel Tucker was a good hire, but you look back at the last few head coaches going back to the mid-2000s, you know what? Those were mistakes, and because of that, Colorado has just slipped further and further behind and made more of a hill that it has to climb to get back through it. That doesn't mean they can't do it. It just means that it's going to take, you know what, five years, four years, if everything goes perfectly, to be a championship contender, a national championship contender. Um, again, everything has to go perfectly for that to happen, and the odds are it's not going to happen this in the, the 2020s. You know, that's just the way it works because there are four college football playoff spots every year. And right now, Alabama's built itself something it can live off of. Um, and Bama's going to be a, a, a key piece of all of this going forward for at least five years. I, I think they'd have to keep missing college football playoffs for two, three more years for the five stars to stop flocking there um, because that's what we all grew up seeing is the picture of college football success you know Clemson they're taking advantage of a weak ACC but you know the way the ACC is set up they get more of the revenue sharing um, because they're winning the most games and they're Gonzaga is the king of that situation you look at their basketball program and the way it's set up you know the the NCAA pays out whatever amount of money for making the tournament and then for winning a game and for winning another and getting to the final four and that money split up amongst the conference. But 
in the WAC, a massive proportion of the money that a school makes in the NCAA tournament just goes back to that school. And so Gonzaga has been able to take advantage in a way that schools and other conferences can't. Colorado has positioned itself here. USC has positioned itself where it did. Bad head coaches. You know, for whatever reason, they have fallen there because they deserve to fall there. Uh, Oregon has been able to take advantage of a weak Pac-12 because of money from Nike. But guess what? They invest so heavily in track. They, They have that rich history of track athletes that Nike started there. And that's why they have the boosters that they have. You know, all of these schools have kind of gotten what's come to them. Um, And there are some cheaters. And, I mean, there are a lot of cheaters. I'm sure of that. And you know what? Maybe that's just part of the game, too. I I don't know. If if you guys have any thoughts on any of this, let me know. Um, I'm trying to think of a school that's somewhere where it doesn't deserve to be. You know, even Michigan State blowing all this money. Well, guess what? You had the whole Larry Nassar scandal and you deserve for bad things to happen to you. And now you're having bad things happen to you. You're overpaying for a head coach. There, there is this justice throughout college athletics that you don't see in other places. There's also a lot of cheating. Um, and that's just the truth. Okay. Um, I think that's going to do it for today. If you guys enjoy the podcast, please relieve a review wherever you listen, iTunes, Spotify, whatever. Um, really appreciate those and they do make a difference. If you guys have any questions or comments or thoughts on what I was saying or anything, throw them in the comment section for today's show and we can get into that stuff tomorrow. Um, and hopefully get back into some basketball cause it's a big week there and, uh, see if there's any changes in the assistant coaching staff. Um, yeah, let's do that. See you then. Bye. They like my Colorado swag Cause when I'm in it play I don't really, I don't really know just how to act And when I'm in it go You know I'm acting bad Holly get a bus with my Colorado swag My Colorado swag My Colorado swag I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag My Colorado swag My Colorado swag Might not swear, I think they like my Colorado swag My Colorado swag
Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, man I swear I think they like my Colorado swag. 